Back in the fall, I told you we're going to do a series where we go through Luke and Acts, and we're going to call it Follow Me. And the reason I said we're going to do this is because if we're not careful, if we're, as we're walking down a path or something, we can, we can slowly drift off course unless we you know, check ourselves as we get back. And so there have been iterations of Christianity that have come around that don't really look much like Jesus. And so one of the things that I've been telling you over and over again is that to be a Christian is to become like Christ. That's literally what it means to be a Christian, to become like Christ. And so we're, we're looking at the book of Luke, which was a, a, a historical document written by a man named Luke. He was a Gentile physician who came to faith in Christ. He tells us in the beginning that he investigated very carefully all of the sources. He interviewed the eyewitnesses so that we could be sure that what we've been taught is true. And so I, we're going to look at we're looking at Luke, and we're looking at what he taught, what he recorded about the life of Jesus, the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus taught, so that we can become like Jesus. And then once we finish with Luke, we're going to move into the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, and that tells the story of the early church and how they took the teachings of Jesus and they put them into practice now that Jesus was gone and what it meant to really be a Christian, to be a disciple in those days. And so we called the series Follow Me because when Jesus invited disciples to become part of his ministry, he said, follow me, and that carried certain connotations. It meant that they left behind certain aspects of their life to, to train with him and to become like him. What I told you last week is that as we've, been as we've been following Jesus in the series so far, up until a certain point, his disciples had really sort of been uh, spectators. They'd been watching Jesus as he had been doing ministry. Jesus had been doing the teaching, he'd been doing the healing and the miracles and all of this stuff. The disciples up to that, this point in the story had sort of been spectators. They'd been observers watching Jesus. And then when we get to about Luke chapter 9, there's a switch. We see a switch where Jesus now begins to invite his followers to join him in his mission. He gives them power and authority and he sends them out on missions to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick to cast out demons, and so we see that there's mission multiplication going on. His followers, he's now spreading the power and the authority. He's bringing more and more people into the mission. So he's inviting people not just to follow him and observe him, but to join him. So last week we talked a little bit about getting in the game, getting in the game. So we're going to continue this morning in Luke chapter 9. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, I'll put the text on the screen as usual, Luke chapter 9. Uh, last week we looked at how Jesus sent the 12 apostles out, gave them the power and the authority, and told them to, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so this is what happens when they come back. Here's how Luke begins this story. He says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So they had gone out and they'd done these great things, and now they're coming back. And it's sort of a debrief session as they talk with Jesus about what they had seen and what they had done. Luke tells us that Jesus took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So he wants to have a little powwow, he wants to have some private time, some, some time to just hang out with them and debrief and talk about what had happened and what they had learned and what they had seen. And so, you know, it, it looks like Jesus is planning just to have this sort of, this quiet night in with, with close friends. It's sort of what he's anticipating here. But, but something else happens. Luke tells us, the crowds learned about it and followed him. So Jesus wants to have a quiet night in with his close friends and talk about what's been going on, but all of the crowds that he's been teaching and healing and ministering to, they, they find out where he is and they still have needs, and so they follow him where he went to this, to this quiet time. Uh, and so here's what happens next. Luke tells us that Jesus welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. And I really, I love this. I love the fact that Luke includes that he welcomed them. 
right? Because this was sort of an interruption in Jesus' plans. This wasn't how he had anticipated spending the day. He wanted to spend the day, you know, just with the close friends, debriefing, all that. All of a sudden, these crowds show up. So there's an interruption in his life. There's an interruption in his day. And this is how Jesus responds in this particular situation. It says he welcomed them. He welcomed them. He showed them hospitality. And then he did what he has been doing the entire time. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, right? This is what he has been doing. This is what he invited his apostles to do, speak about the kingdom of God. He healed the ones who needed healing. And so this brings up a point, which is life and ministry happen in the interruptions. Life and ministry often happen in the interruptions. As we go throughout our day and throughout our week, sometimes there are interruptions to what we're doing, and and we get to choose how we respond to those particular interruptions. Uh, A lot of times, if I'm honest, when I get interrupted, when I'm in the middle of something, my response isn't always welcoming. <laughs> it's not, it's, hey, I'm, I'm busy, I'm in the middle of this, can I get back with you later? And so this is a reminder to me that sometimes, I need to pay attention, that sometimes interruptions are an opportunity for life and ministry to happen. When, when the kids come in the room, um, when you're in the middle of something, when the family member calls, when a coworker comes over to your cubicle with a problem, with, with, with something, when a, when a classmate you know, interrupts a study with a, a problem that they're having, we, we can respond and remember that Life and ministry happen in the interruptions. This, this was an interruption in Jesus' day, but he, had, he took this as an opportunity then to meet their needs. Now, he didn't do this every time. There were other times when he, when he went away and he was very focused. So I just want you to be aware as, as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your week and your month, pay attention to the interruptions that happen in your life. Who, who shows up at an unexpected time with a need or a problem or a request? And how do we respond to that interruption? Is this an opportunity to, to develop a relationship? Is this an opportunity to meet a need? Is this an opportunity to minister to somebody who has an issue? Life and ministry happen in the interruptions. Move, moving on, Luke tells us this. He says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And as we read that, we think that makes a lot of sense, right? These disciples are speaking common sense. This is very rational. This is very reasonable. This this makes sense. If you're in a remote place and you've got a crowd of people there and it's getting to be the end of the day, well, they're going to need something to eat and they're going to need a place to stay. So the disciples are, they're watching their surroundings, they're paying attention, and they give this suggestion that just makes perfect, perfect sense. There's a crowd here, it's the end of the day, they need to eat and find a place to rest, so let's dismiss them so they can go. I know some of you, when I preach too long, you start thinking the same thing, right? Let's dismiss the crowds because we need to get something to eat. You know, I I can see that on your faces sometimes when I go a little too long. Uh, So this is a very, a very reasonable suggestion from Jesus' disciples, uh, so what Jesus says next it, it seems unreasonable, and it would have really caught their attention. This is what Jesus says next. He replied, you give them something to eat. You feed them. And in the Greek, the, the you is emphasized. The, the Greek language is such that you don't need to use the word you explicitly. Uh, it's it often embedded in the verbs. In this particular case, there's, there's a way in Greek to emphasize the subject of the sentence. And in this particular case, the you is emphasized. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, you know, let them go get something to eat. He's saying, you do it. You are the ones to feed them. You give them something to eat. And when we get to the next verse, you're going to understand why this seems so unreasonable and crazy to the disciples. The disciples hearing this probably would have thought that Jesus was out of his mind. He would have thought that he was crazy. And here's why. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread 
and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, and, and these loaves of bread, they're not loaves like we think of today, you know, where there's like 20-some slices. You know, a loaf was, it was, a, it was a piece of bread. A five loaves of bread and two fish was enough for one meal, maybe two meals for two people. And so the disciples are looking at what they've got. They say, Jesus, what, we've only got enough meals for maybe two people, if, you know, if, if we don't get full. How in the world are we supposed to feed this crowd? Oh, by the way, there's about 5,000 men here. There's about 5,000 men here. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek, the word for men is the word for the male gender. There's two words for men in Greek. One is the more general, which means just people, and there's one that's specific to the male gender. The one that Luke uses here is the one specific to the male gender. So what this means is that if there were also women and children there, this could have doubled, tripled, or quadrupled the number of people. So there could have been 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people in this crowd. Now, if you start to think, well, that's unreasonable, that's, you know, that's, that's out of the question, I want to remind you that this is Luke, right? Luke is a physician, he's a historian. He tells us that he's investigated very carefully all of the uh, eyewitness accounts and the investigation so that we could be sure of the things that we know. Additionally, this is one of the only stories that's included in all four of our gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of those tell the story of Jesus, but they tell it in a slightly different way. Some of them include stories that other ones leave out. This is one particular story uh, that's included in all four Gospels. So Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who was there, he was here, he would have seen this happen, he tells this story. Mark, who was a companion to the Apostle Peter, uh, later uh, we believe that Mark gets a lot of his source material directly from Peter. Peter was there when this happened, right? Luke tells the story after interviewing the eyewitnesses and investigating it carefully. And then John was there. So all four of these Gospels include this story about at least 5,000 men being there. And so you can understand why these disciples are, are a little confused and perplexed, right? Their suggestion was very reasonable. It was very rational. It was very wise according to what they could see and sense and pay attention to. They say, let, let them go get something to eat. And Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. And so they, you know, they open up their lunchbox and they say, Jesus, I don't think this is going to cut it. I, just, I mean, I, I, this is enough for maybe two people. How, how are we supposed to feed 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? So what Jesus, you know, in their mind, just put yourself in the, in the shoes and the sandals of a disciple for just a minute. What would you think if you're, if you're looking in your, in your little lunchbox and you see five loaves and two fishes, and you look out and you see the crowd and there's you know, thousands of people, then you look at Jesus and he says, feed them. You know, you, you, Jesus, did you get enough sleep last night? Are you, are you feeling okay? I mean, have you, have you seen the crowd? You know, what, what's going on here? So if you're, if you're a disciple, this isn't, you know, you're, you're kind of wondering, what, what's going on, Jesus? What's going on? So Jesus here is, in, is inviting them to join him in this, in this mission. So here's what happens next. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So at this point, even if you thought Jesus was joking, maybe you're thinking, oh, that's funny, Jesus, that, that's, that's funny, five loaves, two fishes, you feed them. That, that's a good one, you know, I'll laugh about that. When Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, you realize now that Jesus is serious, right? He's, he's not joking, he's not playing around, and so, oh, okay, he, he actually intends for us to feed them. I don't know what's going to happen here. So again, put yourself in their sandals. What would you do now if you realize that Jesus is serious and he's asking you to go out there and tell them to sit down? 
right? So you're the one going out there and you're talking to these crowds and you're saying, you know, sit down, we're going to feed you. And in the back of your mind, you're saying, I don't know how we're going to feed you. I don't know what we're doing here. But, but here's, what, here's the thing that I love. Going on, Luke says this, the disciples did so, right? They did so anyway. So here's a point. They may not have understood, but they trusted and they obeyed. They may not have understood, but they trusted and they obeyed. Here's the further point. Sometimes understanding follows obedience. Sometimes understanding follows obedience. They didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. They went out and they told these people to sit down anyway. They didn't know where the food was going to come from, but they trusted Jesus enough to do it anyway. They had doubts, probably. They, had, they didn't understand, probably, but they trusted Jesus enough to do it anyway. Sometimes God asks us to do things in our life that we don't fully understand in the moment. He asks us to take steps or to take leaps and, and to go places and to do things or to talk to people or to, or to give something that we don't fully understand in the moment. And understanding often follows that obedience. I want to tell you a sort of a personal story from um, our marriage. Gabrielle and I, uh, we had been trying to have a baby for quite a long period of time. And in the process of trying to have a baby, we had started to acquire baby items. We had bought a, a crib and some furniture from some folks. We had bought some cloth diapers and all sorts of different baby accoutrements, right, that we are getting ready because we're preparing to have a baby. And as we're preparing and we're trying and we're trying, this goes on for about a year and a half. And, and there's just nothing. We're, we're not getting pregnant. And then I come home one day and my wife tells me, I think God told me to give away our baby stuff. And I was like, oh. She said, yeah, I just, I, there, are, there are women out there who are having babies and, and they need this stuff. And there was, a, there was a somberness to it, but she really believed that this was, this was from God. Um, and I said, well, I mean, if, if God's telling you to do something, you, you, you probably better listen, right? I mean, that's just, you know, we, we didn't understand. Well, what does this mean? Does this mean that we're, that we're not going to have a baby? You know, what's, what's going on? But in the moment, we didn't understand. But we did it. Um, it well, we, she did it, right? It was, it was her stuff. It was her instruction. And, and I was so proud of her. I was just so proud the way that she, uh, she you know, she just surrendered. She submitted to that uh, instruction. Uh, she gave it away. We took it to this place where they were going to have a, a baby bazaar for people who, who didn't have enough stuff for their babies that they hadn't. And so she did it and she gave it away. Wouldn't you know it, the next month we got pregnant? We did. The very next month, we got pregnant. And, and, and in hindsight, right, understanding follows obedience. I think what may have happened is, is we may have made having a baby an idol in our life. We had made this, this act of having a baby so important that we had lost perspective. And so it was God saying, you know, do you, do you trust me enough? Do you love me enough to, to let go of this, this thing that, that means so much to you. And when she did, look, look, what, he gave, look what he blessed us with. And you, you know, you've, you've all met Madison. Um, and then on top of that, all of the, you know, God repaid us twofold in terms of the, the, the things that we had given up. You know, we, we got so much back, you know, and better stuff and more stuff and just 
got to repay it over and over again. And I think, I really believe it was because she trusted God when she didn't understand the follow through to, to give up the little bit that she had. And, and now we understand, and we understand what God was doing. Sometimes understanding follows obedience. Oh. I wasn't going to tell that story. I just... So, sometimes understanding follows obedience. So, there, there are things. Sometimes God leads us in places that we don't understand, and he asks us to do things that are strange and uncomfortable and sometimes painful because he has the bigger picture in mind. He, he sees what we can't see and what we don't. And so, I, you know, in this church, right, there are, there are things that maybe I'm telling you that we need to do, some things that we need to change, some, some areas where we need to adjust if we're going to accomplish our mission of reaching those who are far from God in our community. And maybe some of you don't understand, and I get that. Some of you are, are, are concerned and you're worried, and, and you know that it means that you're going to have to give up something that that's meaningful to you, maybe, and you don't understand why this has to happen, and, you know, and I get that. So there, there are some things that, that maybe you're going through now as, as we're transitioning this church, as we're, as we're thinking about how we become a, a community, a church that's going to most effectively reach the people in our community who are far from God, who, who don't have this relationship with Christ yet, this life-transforming relationship with Christ, and maybe you don't understand. And so I'm asking you, in the process, if you don't understand, maybe... Maybe just trust for a little while and trust that, that God was at work bringing us together and bringing us to this point and in your leadership up until this point in stewarding what you had so that now we're in a position to, to be able to move forward and make necessary changes so that we can leave a lasting legacy in this community. Some of you, it, it, it may be uncomfortable as we change some of our, our worship styles or change you know, some of the, the interior, as we change some of the ways that we think about church. It, it may be uncomfortable, but, but maybe this is this is the next step where God is leading you so that you can leave a legacy so that people like Madison and her kids can have a thriving church left to them for years and generations to come. Sometimes understanding follows obedience. Luke goes on with the story. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. So once again, I want you to put yourself in the, you know, put yourself in the disciples' sandals. As Jesus takes these, these, these five small loaves and these two fishes, and he prays for them and he breaks them, and he hands you a little piece, and you walk out to a group of 50 with a little piece of bread and a little piece of fish in your hand. And, and you're just wondering, I... You know, what am I going to do? You know, do you, do you give the first person just like a really small bite and wonder like how this is going to last? You just, you know, you're thinking I'm just going to give slivers. But then as you, as you break it off, as you walk down the line, you know, all, like the bread isn't getting any smaller and the fish isn't getting any smaller. And you, you hand it out and, and you hand it out and it's still there and it's still there and people are eating. And imagine what's going on inside of your, inside of your soul at this moment as you're watching this take place, as you're a part of what Jesus is doing. Right? Jesus didn't have to do it this way. He could have fed them any number of ways, right? You know, we read about in the Old Testament, God sent manna from heaven, right? God, Jesus didn't have to involve the disciples in this, but he chose to. And I think he chose to because he wanted something to happen inside of them. He wanted them to experience what it was like to be a part of this, to be a part of this miracle, to see God work. Do you know who remembered this story? Well, let's, let's finish the story and I'll keep going. Um, it says, they all ate 
and were satisfied. Again, I, I love Luke's detail in this. They ate and were satisfied. That means they were full, right? They didn't just eat. Luke could have said, oh, they all ate, which means they got a crumb and a sliver of fish, right? But it was further than that. They ate and they were satisfied. And not only that, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. From five loaves of fish and two fishes, thousands of people ate and were satisfied. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. Who do you think remembered this the most? The crowds or the disciples? The disciples, right? The crowds may not even have known. They may not even have known that they only started out with five loaves and two fish. For them, it may have just been another meal. The crowd woke up the next morning hungry for breakfast, right? For them, it may have just been another meal. But for those disciples, for the ones that Jesus had invited to join in, to be a part of what he was doing, I think that's why this is included in all four. Right? Because this made such a vivid impression in their mind. When Jesus invited them to be a part of what he was doing, when he gave them that piece in a mission, in an assignment, and he said, I want you to go and give this food to these people, they remembered that. This would have left an indelible impression in their mind as they were a part of what Jesus was doing in that particular moment. As they saw God come to work and that miracle take place, this, this wasn't primarily for the crowds. This was primarily for the disciples, for them to learn to trust Jesus on another level. For them to learn to trust Jesus on another level. So here's the bottom line. This is what I want to leave you with today. Will you trust Jesus with what you have? Will you trust Jesus? It may not seem like enough, right? When we talk about giving, maybe, maybe you don't give because you think that you don't have enough to give. It's not really going to make an impact. Or, or you think that, you know, on your fixed income, you, you, just, you just can't afford to, to really give anything. And so, so you don't. Will you trust Jesus with what you do have? Will you trust that, the, that whatever seems like a small amount to you in the hands of God can, can be transformed and multiplied? Maybe you think that you don't have enough time or you don't have enough talent. Will you trust God with the little bit that you do have? And invest it in service and giving to others and in serving in some way. Maybe, maybe it's not much, but will you trust that the, the little bit that you have, that you, that you entrust to God and, and give back, that he can multiply and do something wonderful with? Maybe you think that you don't have enough knowledge to really go out and, and share your faith with people, to tell people about what Jesus has done for you and what's available with this relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you think you just, you know, you don't have all the answers and you don't know if you're going to be able to answer their questions when they come back. Will you trust God with what you do have? Will you trust God with what you do have? Ask Larry. He's got a really cool story about this one time where God sent him to talk to somebody. And he doesn't know what he says, but he knows that he had all the right answers at just the right time. Isn't that right? Ask him about it sometime. It's an incredible story. Uh, trust God with what you do have, the, the little bit of knowledge that, that God can, can work within you, that the spirit of God that he has put inside of you is enough, and that he can work with the little bit that you do have as you commit it to his hands. Second, will you join him even if it doesn't make sense? Will you join him even if it doesn't make sense? When he asks us to follow him, we know that we're not always going to know, but we know that he has our best interest at heart. That as I've told you before, that he's not asking for something from us, he wants something for us. But in order to get there sometimes, it means we have to let go of what we think we have and let go of what we think we know so that we can experience what it is that he has in store for us. 
This story wasn't about the crowds eating. They could have been fed a thousand different ways. This story is about the disciples learning to trust Jesus with what they had and that he can multiply what they had for his purposes. It was learning to trust him on a deeper level, even when it didn't make sense. Do we trust that God has the big picture, our best interest at heart? Will you trust him with what you have? Will you join him even if it doesn't make sense? I'm going to play a song for you that I think captures this really well, and then I'll come back up and have a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, it's, it's astonishing, really, that you would invite us to be a part of your mission, that you would ask us to join you. There's so many other ways that you could have chosen to accomplish your will on this earth, and yet you have invited us to be a part of it. Father, we confess that sometimes it doesn't make sense, that, that what you ask us to do doesn't make sense. Sometimes it seems uh, counterintuitive. Sometimes it seems downright ridiculous. Sometimes it, it seems painful and costly, and yet we know that you have our best interests at heart, that at the end of the day, you want something for us, not just something from us. So, Father, help us to trust you even more. Help us to, to maybe loosen our grip on the little that we do have as we hold on to it, just to, to entrust it to you, knowing that you can take what we have and multiply it beyond what we could ever ask or think or expect. Help us to take whatever next step it is for us, whether in our individual lives, whatever our next step is to trust you. Help us to, to trust you even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't understand. Father, as we go forth this week, help us to pay attention to our lives, to pay attention to those interruptions where you might be giving us opportunities to minister, to serve, to speak truth that changes lives. Father, thank you for these people, for their commitment to love and serve and honor you. Be with them as they go throughout their week. In Jesus' name, amen.